indeed, you are at the place. This is the place where faith is. Yes, we are the place where faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And if you want to stretch toward God's high calling, if you want to cultivate the idea, the reality of faith, this is the place where we do that because we stretch in God's direction. We don't shrink from what he says. We actually stretch toward it and we challenge each other to have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. After all, he says to us over and over in the Bible, trust me. He also wants to know if he can trust us. That's a little different subject, but important. But we have, over these last weeks and months, developed this idea that we can have faith, we can have confidence that God is trustworthy. And you know, we live in times when people are afraid of a lot of things, anxious about a lot of things. I understand why they might be, but I'm here to tell you, God is saying to us in these days, trust me, take courage and trust me. And we need to do that. And so that's what we do. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor of a church in Cape Coral, Florida. And our church and I bring this program to you in an effort to challenge you to stretch in the same way we challenge each other. And we do this for you, not for our benefit, but we hope it benefits you and it helps you realize that God is for us, not against us, and he wants us to trust him. And if we are going to solve the problems that are all around us, we're going to need to turn to him and actually trust him. So why not do it? And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help each other stretch in God's direction. And I hope you will join us in doing that today and every week when we meet here at this time to talk about faith and the issues of that. Now, this is a new year and a lot of people are looking for new things. And in case you haven't noticed, the network has a new thing going on. You might have noticed the, the new website, americaoutloud.news, and I encourage you to go check it out because there's a lot of good information there, and you may, may be surprised at some of the things you hear, and it may help you have some better perspective on the world around us. We need better information so we can understand what's going on better, and I think you'll find that there. A lot of good programs for you to check out. Use your discernment on all, all things, all things even in, including the things that I talk about here. I'm not afraid for you to challenge them and think them through. I encourage you to do that. And while you're there, you might check out the, the shop that's available to you at americaoutloud.news. I was looking at that earlier this week, and guess what? I found a couple of things to purchase, and they're on their way to me as we speak. So you might find some things that you'd find helpful. I would just want to remind you that it's a good place to go in case you haven't been there, in case you're not aware of the website and of the things it has to offer. A lot of good possibilities there, a lot of good information. So go check it out. Now, also in this new year, no surprise if you've been listening for a while, I've been talking about, and I'm going to mention it again right now, the importance of everybody finding a church and going to church every week, not just occasionally, every week. Now, some people think that sounds preposterous, but you know, there's a lot of things we do every week, and church should not be thought of as an unnecessary burden. It should be the place we go, and sometimes I say this, it should be the place we go to set the restart 
button on our lives. You know, we talk about rebooting our computers. Maybe you need to reboot your life so you flush the crud out. And you can do that on Sunday or at a different weekend service at a church. Look for a church that's closest to the Bible, not necessarily closest to your house. You don't want a church that's gone off on other kinds of directions and failed to respect and honor the authority of the Bible. You want a church that is sincere about trying to understand what God says and faithful to do what God says. No church is perfect. I've been around churches all my life. can't remember a time when I wasn't around churches. And I can tell you for sure there is no perfect church. If there was a perfect church and I showed up, it would suddenly not be a perfect church. You get the idea. There are not perfect people. There are not perfect churches. But there are churches that can help us stretch toward God. And that's what we need. So I came across this article written by a man I've met, don't know well. I know his work more than I know him. His name is Everett Piper. He used to be the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. That's where I first heard of him. He has since retired from that job, and he's doing other things. He still lives in Oklahoma, and he writes commentary, I think, about every week. And I came across this commentary that he wrote for Higher Ground Times, an online publication. And it's really a a question-and-answer type column on this particular one. And it was right in the right in the sweet spot of things that I've been talking about, but he has some different perspective on it and some different information. But it talks about and answers the question of, is there any hope for our future? And I've often said, as long as there's a God in heaven, there's hope for our future. Because God is the one who makes all the wrongs right. He makes all things new, all of that. And so as long as God is there, then we can have confidence that God can help us. And so he had a concerned person wrote in and asked this question. This person was from Illinois. And and I thought I would just kind of summarize this article. And and the more I looked at it, the more I thought, no, I just need to share this with you the way he did, because it's it's amazing. Now, I probably won't be able to help myself from interrupting from time to time, but we'll see how we get along. But here's the question. Dear Dr. E, remember his name is Everett Piper. Dear Dr. E, as we begin a new year, Almost every survey shows Americans worry about their future. Most believe our culture is at risk and that we are on the precipice of losing whatever remnant is left of our Western values, our freedoms, and our corresponding way of life. Do you believe there is anything we can do that can save us from what seems to be an inevitable train wreck of societal collapse? That's quite a question, isn't it? So they're asking the question, that a lot of people have asked, and people have asked me, is there any hope for us? Have we gone too far, and so things are just going to collapse all around us? I've read the Bible a time or two, and I've heard the stories, and just when it seemed there was no hope, when people turned to God, there is hope because He comes and He helps. And so that's why this question got my attention. But listen to what Dr. Everett Piper says in response. He, He writes, Dear Concerned, Yes, There is something we can do. We can return to the church. There you go. See, I knew I couldn't help myself. Surprise. A lot of us have been saying that, right? We can return to the church. He continues, You don't have to agree with the specifics of my Orthodox faith to acknowledge that the Christian church has been essential to much of what is good about Western civilization and a positive influence on the rest of the world. 
Take, for example, Matthew Paris, a journalist for the London Times. Paris is an award-winning author and a former member of Parliament, and he also describes himself as a gay atheist. He grew up in South Africa and and a return trip recently when he went back there prompted the following comment. So make sure you don't miss that. He's talking about a, a journalist from England, writes for the London Times, who describes himself as a gay atheist. Now that would not be someone that a lot of us would think of as a church person. But this gentleman returned to South Africa and here's what he wrote. Now this is again from Paris, Matthew Paris. Quote, in my return to my African heritage, I have realized that the continent of Africa, had it not been for Christian evangelism, would have suffered the fate of the machete, genocide, or the worship of Nike. Missionaries, not aid money, are the solution to Africa's biggest problem, the crushing passivity of the people's mindset. End of quote. Dr. Piper continues, Paris then concluded it was the church's emphasis on a personal relationship with God that fueled an individuality that could cast off a crushing tribal groupthink that cursed the average African citizen. Now, pause just for a minute. A few years ago, I heard a gentleman who I know a little bit better than I know Everett Piper talk about the problems in Africa. He had been a missionary in Africa years ago, knew Africa quite well. And someone asked him, what's the problem in Africa? Because Africa seems to be continually plagued with difficulties. No matter what people do to try to solve them, the problems just reemerge. And this gentleman, this former missionary to Africa, said the problem in Africa is tribalism. Well, guess what? That's exactly what Matthew Paris is saying here. The problem is tribal groupthink, as he puts it. Now, think about this going forward. And, and remember, Matthew Paris described Africa as suffering from a crushing tribal groupthink. So Dr. Piper goes on in his answer to the question of, is there any hope for our country? A crushing tribal groupthink sounds a lot like what we find in America today, doesn't it? Here we have a South African atheist admitting that Christian evangelism and its social and moral traditions saved Africa from genocide. Yet our corporate leaders, elected officials, and educational elites in the United States disparage these same social and moral traditions and expect a better result. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that this will not end well. Instead of trying to expunge any mention of Christianity from the public square, we should be extolling its virtues and proclaiming, Thank God for the church. Oh, here I go. I have to stop again. You know, that's one of the frustrations of my life. I've seen people denigrate the church over my lifetime and and consider it unimportant or second rate or optional, all all kinds of things. It's like, uh, why do we need the church, people will say. Well, thank God for the church, as Dr. Piper writes here. We do need the church, and the the church needs you, and and you need the church. There's no question about it. It it brings about so much good in the lives of people. Uh, that was always with the with the qualification that you find a church that believes the Bible, respects biblical authority, and challenges each other to to stretch and to grow in God's direction, to do what's right, in other words. So let's continue with what Dr. Piper said. 
The truth is that few, if any, of the cultural institutions we currently enjoy, things such as hospitals, schools, civil rights organizations, colleges, and universities, would exist without the church's influence. Chuck Colson reminded us of this when he said, In every action we take, we are either helping to create a hell on earth or helping to bring down a foretaste of heaven. We are either contributing to the broken condition of the world or participating with God in transforming the world to reflect his righteousness. End of the Colson quote. Piper goes on. The church has done more to bring a little heaven to earth than any other institution in history. America's founders, for example, were committed to the importance of the church. Even those who did not personally embrace its orthodoxy acknowledged it as essential for the nation's formation and sustainability. Then, in the 1830s, the church led the effort to help runaway slaves escape to freedom. Everyone remembers the Underground Railroad, but our history books often neglect to mention the church leaders who stood against the cultural current for what they knew was right. Across the globe, it was the church that pushed to end slavery, a practice accepted as commonplace before Christians stood and demanded change. Likewise, in Germany, the Pastors' Emergency League revolted against Hitler's control of the pulpits during World War II. This became known in history as the Confessing Church because of their stand against the evils of the Nazi regime. For 2,000 years, the church has been a force for humble boldness against evil throughout the world. It draws us by the power of the gospel to a place of repentance. It exposes our ignorance and condemns our arrogance. It rescues us from the tyranny of deception. It calls us to carry the cross of Christ as we work to lighten the load of others. Above all, it is the church's clarion call to embrace the truth that empowers people to throw off the enslavement we all experience to our own sin and to fight against the subjugation the powerful always seek to impose on the weak. The church has been a faithful, noble, and righteous voice throughout history. Without the church and its defense of truth, the world would be a much darker place, and the country that now tries to expel it from the public square would not even exist without it. If you want to stem the tide of societal decay and cultural collapse, find a Bible-believing church, support it, defend it, attend it, obey it, and watch your country change for the better. And that's the end of Dr. Piper's reply to the question, is there any hope for us? Well, obviously I agree, and uh, you could tell that both from the fact that I chose to include that, but also because of what I talked about there. And I want to tell you that that I know, not because I'm old enough to have been there personally, but from personal exposure, the impact of this, something like the Underground Railroad on the road, air, Underground Railroad on the society we live in. See, it was the early members of the church of which I'm a part that were heavily involved in, in trying to get rid of the scourge of slavery in this country. It was church people. It was a pastor from Ohio that went to a church at the risk of his own life in the Carolinas to pastor a church in the midst of the turmoil over abolition. And they believed in abolition, and he believed in it, but a lot of people around him did not. And they faced enormous pressures. There were lynchings. There were people from my faith tradition that were lynched, thankfully saved at the last minute, 
one case they needed the rope for someone else and they cut him down early before he had died sad chapter in our nation's history but marked by courageous people who stood up for that which is right there is a church that's been re uh, how should i say reconditioned a little bit preserved on the campus of southern wesleyan universal and university in central south carolina and you can go visit that little church Many of the original pews there and the original door on that church building has been preserved and you will see bullet holes in that door put there by opponents of the church who shot at the church while the people were inside attending church and worshiping God. So I know something about the influence of the church and its power to change things. I've been told, and I have not seen this, but I grew up in southeastern Ohio, greater Cincinnati area, and I've been told by people from churches in that area that in the basements of some of the parsonage parsonages from years ago you can see the evidence of how those pastors and those people hid slaves who were running away to freedom as they were making their way north they'd get across the ohio river and they would shelter them in some of those parsonages see the church has been a force for good in so many ways and and we need to remember that and not give up on that. And that's, that's one of the reasons that I say, maybe, maybe the primary reason is because what we've seen in history and what we know to be true, that nothing's going to save us except a return to fo- faithfully following Jesus and to being part of the church that energizes itself to bring about good in the world. And so the church needs you and you need the church. You might say you're disappointed in the church. Well, maybe you're disappointed because too many people have abandoned the church. You know, when people rally around, Churches can go lots of places. And you know, too many times we go to church and we start looking at church and we begin to see it through our own eyes. It's as though we see us and the limitations and all that. I want you to start thinking about the church, the church you attend, the church you might want to attend, maybe the church you seek out and then start attending. I want you to start looking at that church and seeing it as God sees it and seeing the world around us as God sees us. With God, things are possible, and we need to quit giving up on those things, and we need to embrace what God embraces. So the church is a great focus of attention these days. And there are a couple of things that, that I was thinking about from, from this article, and I just want to mention them so, so we don't miss them. He mentioned the idea of the truth. And I've said for a long time, and people just kind of look at me funny sometimes, but I, I, I have meant it, and I did mean it when I first said it that the truth is the church's great gift to the world at this time. We see so much deception out there. And if you look into things, you will find there are lies everywhere. I, I wish I could even begin to tell you. There are lies everywhere. And the church has a gift to the world we live in, and that's to tell the truth about life and about living, about people, and about the solution to our problems. So that's important. The church has the truth. In fact, the church follows the one who started the church. His name is Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The other thing that that I want people to really realize is that if you want to see change in the world, if you want to see the wrong things start to become right, you have to realize that that takes people to do that. And if you think The people you elect to office are going to do that on their own. I encourage you to think again. I'm convinced that only people who have been changed 
made new by the power of the living God are going to be able to change things the way they need to be. Only people who have made a higher commitment to Christ are the ones that will be able to have the strength of character, the personal strength, the fortitude to avoid the lure of power and money. You see, it's the, it's the whole pursuit of power and money that's driving the problems of our world. And no one without the power of the living Christ within them is going to be able to, to overcome that temptation. And so we need people of that kind of faith, that kind of courage, that kind of commitment. And we get that by people being a part of a local church that spurs them in the right direction. So, what are you waiting for? Find a church and go to it. Find a church that respects the Bible, that honors its authority, and does what it says. Not a church that tries to explain things away, but a church that embraces what God says and follows it. That's important. On a practical side, please realize, if you go to church once or even twice, it won't feel comfortable. You have to go at least six times in a row before you'll begin to feel comfortable because every church is a little different. It's made up of different people. Things will seem different to you. I've been to a lot of churches in my life. Every church I go in, there are some familiar things, but there's a lot of stuff that's just not familiar. It's just different. I would need to get used to it. Well, that's the way it is for all of us. So don't hold back. Don't hinder yourself by going once or twice and saying, eh, I don't know, don't think I want to do that. No, take yourself in hand and get yourself back to church. All right, so at church we often hear sermons and teachings from the Bible, so that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time doing today. I want us to take a look at a very important concept that sometimes, we, sometimes we're a little reluctant to embrace, and I want to encourage you to explore it carefully, wisely, and this is only a very beginning introduction to the idea, but we've come to that time of year in the life of the church when we talk about how God reveals himself to people. And we talked about the wise men coming and that being evidence that God has revealed himself outside of the Jewish community, the, the people that we have known from the Old Testament as the people of God. They were a specific group of people. But now, with the coming of Jesus, God has revealed himself to the rest of us. And we see that reinforced over and over again in the New Testament. And so we begin to think and ask ourselves, well, how is God revealing himself in our day, in our time? We can read the Bible stories, and they're helpful, and I like them a lot. But we also need to apply it to ourselves. And so this weekend, we are looking at the story of Samuel. Now, I remember being told when I was a kid that Samuel was one of my favorite stories. I really do not remember that. I assume that it's true, and I've always acted like that was the case. I just really don't know for sure because I just don't remember. But I do know that Samuel's story is very instructive to us and helpful for us when we think about this idea of God revealing himself to us and us hearing what God wants us to do. Years ago, there was a lot of emphasis on the will of God, finding and doing the will of God. People have kind of gotten away from that a little bit. I'm not sure that's good. I think there was a little bit too much angst and worry over it back in the day. 
But nonetheless, we should still be focused on and intent on doing what God wants us to do and hearing his instructions in our lives. And Samuel gives us some insight to that. Now, we're going to look at the story of Samuel, just one part of the very pivotal part of the story of Samuel from 1 Samuel chapter 3. But just to remind ourselves and to catch up a little bit, Samuel was the son of a woman named Hannah. She was married to a gentleman named Elkanah, and she was childless. And it was a great torment in those days for a woman, a married woman, not to have a child because children were valued. Kind of different than our day. We should still value them just as much. We just need to recapture that. That's why we go to church and hear people like me say we need to value children. Well, anyway, Hannah didn't have any children, and and it made her the subject of ridicule and torment, and it bothered her a great deal. Every year, she and her household went with Elkanah to Shiloh to pray at the local uh, worship center, we would call it. And so every year, she would go and pour her heart out to God when they made their sacrifices and plead for God to hear her and grant her a child. One year when she was there, she was praying so fervently, the Bible talks about how her lips were moving and no sound came out, that Eli the priest thought she was drunk. And so he he kind of corrected her, you know, woman, what are you doing coming here drunk like this? And, and she explained, no, I'm not drunk. My heart is burdened and I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord because I don't have a son. Well, Eli quickly understood what her problem was and gave her a blessing that God would give her a son. And won't you know it? God gave her a son, and his name is Samuel. And she had promised in the petition that she made to God that if God gave her a son, she would raise him very carefully, what the Bible calls a Nazarite vow he would take, so that he would be very carefully preserved for God's service, and that she would she would take him to the temple to serve God if, if he would give her a son. And he did, and so... She raised Samuel until it was time that he was able to leave home, and then she took him to the temple, and he served there in the temple with Eli. Eli's other sons were there, but Samuel had a place that he served with Eli and helped out with things. And that was Hannah's gift, you might say, a real sacrifice that she gave in thanks thanks to God. And God rewarded her by giving her other children as well. And you can read that in the first couple of chapters of Samuel. There are other things there, but we get to Samuel chapter 3, and it tells us the story of a very interesting occurrence in the life of Samuel. So let's read that from 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting with verse 1, and I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version, updated edition. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. And I know we need to read the rest of the verses, but we need to stop and make sure we understand the context before we go on. He was there in the temple, worshiping, serving, helping Eli. And the scripture says the word of the Lord was rare. In other words, they didn't hear from God much in those days. Visions from God were not common. They were not widespread. It tells you something about the spiritual state of the times. Do you really want to hear what God has to say? You know, I've been around church a long time, and I've watched people run from what God has to say. God presses them in a certain way. They don't like it. They don't want to change their ways, and they're gone. They run from God. They've heard him, but they run from him. 
Well, we want to talk about what's going on here and a little bit about how we can hear the voice of God and know if it's the voice of God. So you hang on. We're going to take a little break here. We'll be right back after this, and we'll talk about this idea of hearing from God and how we know and what to do. I'm Pastor Ray. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. Those are the words that Samuel spoke in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and those are the words that we want to remind ourselves about as we continue today talking about this idea of God revealing himself and of us hearing 
from God. We want to hear what God says. We want to listen when God speaks, and we want to respond. And so we want to explore this a little bit more from the life of Samuel, and we want to understand what it means to actually hear from God and what are some of the implications of that for us. And this story is very instructive for that because it starts out by reminding us that people didn't hear from God much in those days. It was rare for people to have a vision from God. And so we want to explore now, suddenly God is re-engaging, so it seems, with Samuel. And now Samuel is going to be hearing from God. And certainly he did in this situation. And we know from the rest of the story of Samuel's life that he heard from God from time to time and even often and even regularly. So it's rare, the scriptures say, for the word of the Lord to come in these days. The visions were not often, and we take that to mean that it reflected the spiritual condition of the times, and that means the spiritual condition wasn't good. It also says, the scriptures do, in 1 Samuel 3, verse 2, that Eli had a physical problem that gives us insight into what else is going on, but it says in here, at that time Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. All right, so Eli could not see, and that's a parallel idea that the writers of the Bible often use to show us what was going on on a spiritual side. They would use a physical example, and so here it seems as though Eli's failing eyesight was reflective of the failure of people to hear what God is saying, to see what God wants them to do. And yet all that changes suddenly with the entrance of Samuel. So they're there in the temple, and it says in verse 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. So it's giving us an idea. They've, they've gone to bed, but the lamp of God has not gone out. Now that's a curious description. What, what might that mean to us? Well, there was a lamp that God had given instructions for, for the keepers of the temple, would have been Eli and his sons, to light and to keep running all night, or keep burning all night. It was supposed to start as, as dusk came and last until dawn. And yet the phrase isn't that it was still burning, but it had not yet gone out. And the implication is, again, that they may not have been following what God instructed them because apparently it was a normal thing for this lamp to run out of oil and go out. It wasn't tended appropriately. And so we get this idea that things have fallen into spiritual disarray, and it's more than a simple idea. It's very well established by the behavior of Eli's sons. That was just terrible. We're not going to get into that, but that's related to this message from God. So Eli and Samuel have gone to bed, and Samuel's laying there, and he hears a voice, and the voice calls out to him, and he immediately thinks that it's Eli. Now, it's instructive for us to understand where they are and what's going on here, and and a little bit why Samuel thinks it's Eli. So in those days, they believed in these ancient times that if a person was sleeping in the temple or in the in the same location of a holy place, maybe a place of sacrifice. There were different ones that, around Israel. And, and if they went there, then they believed they could hear from God. Maybe they would have a, a dream, and that would give them instruction on what they needed to do. But somehow the, 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 the sense that if they were in this certain place, 
it was a better opportunity to hear from God. And so here we see God is pointing out that Samuel is there in the temple in the presence of the ark of God. Well, that's important because God had given instructions, and we know this very well, you know this, that he was not to be represented by an idol. God was clearly to be a, a, a revered person, but not represented by a physical object. So he was personable and he was a person, but he wasn't to be contained by a physical thing. So the instructions from God were to make this ark and that he would dwell there between the images on the ark and that would represent his presence among the people of Israel. It's, um, it's a little bit hard to describe. It's not all that really mysterious. It's just different to us because we live in different times and with the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's presence is, is with us and that's different. But in those days, that was how God had revealed himself to them. And so Samuel being there in the presence of God, it's not surprising, and it wouldn't have been surprising for them when they realize that God speaks to him. So he's laying there, and he hears God speak, and immediately he thinks it's Eli calling. Now, we don't know exactly, I don't know how to know this exactly, but the evidence from the text is that that Samuel heard an audible voice because he responded as though he did, and so he ran to Eli, expecting that Eli had called him. Well, Eli hadn't. And so Eli said, no, wasn't me. Go back to bed. And he goes back to bed. He's there for a time. We don't know how long, but he hears the voice again. And he's up immediately, and he runs to Eli and says, here I am. You called me. And Eli says, no, I, I didn't call you. And uh, okay, so go back to bed, Samuel. This sounds like some of us and our kids when they were little, and they would get up and want a drink of water or something. Well, it wasn't that. It was... Samuel was responding to this voice that he heard. He goes back to bed the third time, and sure enough, he hears Samuel, Samuel, and he immediately jumps up and he runs in thinking Eli's called him. And again, you know, no, it wasn't me. But finally, and, and maybe this took three times so that we could understand the story to understand how the word of the Lord didn't come in those days, and it wasn't common for them to see visions, and so Eli didn't pick up that God was talking to Samuel right away. Now, maybe because Samuel was still young, I, I, we don't know exactly, but finally Eli got it, and he said to Samuel, it's probably God calling you, but go back again, and if he calls again, say to him, speak, for your servant is listening. And sure enough, Samuel goes back, and the voice calls again, and Samuel responds in the way Eli told him, and God speaks to Samuel about the things that would be happening, things that we know from other places in the book of Samuel, terrible things related to Eli's family. So eventually they figured out that it was God speaking, and Samuel is in a posture to hear from God. And we need to think about how that relates to our day and how we think about hearing from God. I guess one of the first things that we should think about is, is do we really want to hear from God? You see, Eli, Eli and Samuel were in the temple near the Ark of the Covenant in the presence of God, we would say. So they were where they needed to be, but then Samuel also had to give God permission to speak. 
And Dallas Willard has written really a fascinating book on this whole idea of hearing from God. And he said at one point in the book, he said, God wants to be wanted, to be wanted enough that we are ready, predisposed to find him present with us. So one of the things that Samuel's story illustrates is that he wanted to hear from God because he says, speak, I'm listening. He wanted to hear what God had to say. That's very instructive, don't you think? Very important for us to realize. And when Samuel gave God permission to speak, guess what happened? God spoke up. Didn't necessarily give him a message that anybody would have wanted to hear, but Eli, when he asked Samuel the next day, what did God say? He heard what Samuel said, and it wasn't good news for him and his family. But Eli understood. He accepted it. He seemed to realize that God was saying what needed to happen, and he, he agreed with God and that this was an appropriate message and that God should do what God would do. Kind of a sad story, Eli and his sons, but instructive in how we need to hear from God. And Eli was willing to hear from God even when the message wasn't good news for him. So let's think about us. What do we do today if we want to hear from God? I guess, you know, we have to ask ourselves, do we want to hear from God? Uh, that's, that's important. Some of us don't. You know, some of us are so used to God, so we might think just beating us up and telling us how bad we are that we're reluctant to hear Well, I want to suggest that we need to listen a little closer because God doesn't often want to tell us how bad we are unless we're really that bad. And maybe you are and maybe you aren't. Sometimes God wants to tell us, hey, attaboy, way to go, keep going. I like it. I want to encourage what you're doing. Go for it. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. And sometimes God wants to just give us a little encouragement to keep doing what we're doing. Other times he probably wants to come along and say, you know, we need to work on this, this attitude or this behavior, whatever it might be, this needs to be corrected. And, you know, that's the times that, now you have to admit, most of us struggle with listening to God when he comes along with something that he wants to fix in our lives. We all say we want our lives to be better, but we all struggle when God wants to fix something to make it better. Uh, I think that makes sense, doesn't it? So we really got to wrestle with this idea of do we want to hear from God? Are we willing to let him speak to us in his terms and, and to say what he needs to say? Now, if we come to that with an idea that, hey, God is God and he knows and he has my well-being in mind, then it's much easier to say, speak, I'm willing to hear. So let's talk about this idea. If once we've agreed that we want to hear from God, let's talk about this idea of how do we hear from God? Well, I like this expression that I got years ago. I can't really credit who said it because I don't remember and I don't want to misspeak. But I like this idea that, that we need to put ourselves in the stream of grace. Now, what I mean by that is the same idea that Samuel was in the temple near the ark. He was in the presence of God, we would say, because that's where God's presence was revealed to be in those days. Now, when we talk about the stream of grace, we don't talk about the presence of God in that same way. But when you put yourself in the stream of grace, it's doing the things that give God an opportunity to speak to you. And we'll talk about that. Second thing, not only do we put ourselves in the stream of grace, but we invite God in to speak. That's what Samuel did. That's what I mentioned just a minute ago. We really have to wrestle with that idea. Do we want to hear from God? Do we really want God to speak? And not everybody does. 
You need to think about that. And the third thing, once we hear God speak, then we need to, to know how to, how to test it and, and who to trust. Can we trust the people of God? And I think, yes, we can, as long as they are the people of God. And how do we validate, we might say, that message? Well, the stream of grace, the way I think of that today is a number of things. I'll just give you six ideas that are fairly straightforward. One is what I have been saying for a long time, and some of you are tired of hearing it, but here we go again. It's go to church, a church that respects the Bible and its authority and that wants to hear from God whatever he has to say, even if they won't like it, they want to hear from God, and they want to stretch in God's direction. Go to that church. Put yourself in the stream of grace you might be very surprised what you hear God say through the voice of a pastor, through the words of a song or a hymn. Go to church. Put yourself in that place that God can speak to you. He uses all of those kinds of things to minister grace to us and to speak to us. Second, when you're there, participate in Holy Communion. Every now and then in churches where I've been, some people are reluctant to share around the Lord's table in Holy Communion. He gives that to us as a means of grace. Don't hold back. Present yourself to God. Make your confession. If there's something you need to say to God so that you are right in your heart to gather at the Lord's table, then do it. Participate. Third, join a Bible study group. I say this a lot and people kind of look at me like, what's that mean? Well, it simply means join a Bible study group, a group of people that study the Bible. It can be all men, it could be all women, it could be men and women. A lot of ways people do Bible study groups. We have a group of men that meets every week, and I benefit from that. I did this week benefit from that. We were talking about a Bible story, and a connection came through the study of the Scriptures, and as we talked about it, that I had never seen before. And I think it was very helpful. It was as though God was saying that to us, and saying that to our church. And I need to hang on to that so that I don't miss God's guidance to us. It was a very good thing for us to realize. So join a Bible study group. You will be amazed, and I am regularly amazed, the things that God brings to mind when we talk about this as faithful followers of Jesus. We have these conversations about the Bible, things that you might not get any other way. Number four, these are in no particular order, by the way. If you're trying to think one's more important than the other, these are just a bunch of them that you should into practice. Number four is serve your church. You find this church that's faithful to the Bible, do something to help out. It's called serving. I don't know how much time you have or are willing to have, but start somewhere and serve your church. You need to serve. Your church needs your help. I'm not sure which is more needed, whether the church needs you or you need the opportunity to serve, because it is such a good thing for everyone. Serve your church. Number five, I mentioned a Bible study group. You can read the Bible for yourself because God can speak to you that way as well. So one is not a substitute for the other. I think they're both very valuable and very helpful and, and I would say all but essential to Christian faith. Christian faith is never, never practiced in isolation. So read the Bible for yourself and be in, be in a Bible study group. And, and six, and you've heard this a lot, and, and people say pray. Some people say, well, how do I know how to pray? Well, I'll give you a couple of ideas to think about. Some of us have fallen into traps over this idea of prayer, but I think these are consistent with, with the Bible and might help you. This is not the final word on it, of course, but it's, but it's some tips. First of all, give thanks. 
spend your time talking to God and just telling him all the things you're thankful for. And you may not have thought about that, and you may not have thought about how many things you're thankful for, but go ahead and make your list. Give thanks. As you pray, make commitments. Tell God, I'm going to follow you faithfully. I'm going to stretch in your direction. I'm going to have absolute confidence in your trustworthiness. Make your commitments. As you make them, you might say, Lord, I don't know if I can live up to this, but I'm going to depend upon your grace to do it. This is what I'm intending to do. This is who I want to be. In the midst of all of this, you may come to some times in your life, maybe you're there now, that you need to tell God what's upsetting you. Maybe some things are just frosting your cake, as we used to say. Well, you can tell God what's upsetting you and and just pour out your heart to him. Hannah did that in the Samuel story earlier than what we looked at. She was upset she didn't have any children. She poured out her heart to God. And we can do that as well. Can I suggest that as you pour out your heart to God about the things that, that are on your mind and, and are concerning you, would you dare to at the same time thank God that he cares about you and your situation and thank him for helping? Thank him that he is involved. Maybe you're praying for someone who's going through a hard time. Thank him that, that you know he cares about that person and you're so grateful that he hasn't abandoned them and you're trusting him to help them. Isn't that appropriate to say to God? One of the things that I would suggest is that we're careful about presenting a long lit- litany of asks. I want this and I want that and I think this ought to be that way and God could give attention to this over here. There are things that are appropriate to ask for from God. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But what I do think is that we sometimes spend too much time thinking about all the things we want from God. Another idea as you pray is agree with God. You know, the Lord's Prayer says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Are you willing to agree with God on that level? That you want what God wants? Why not tell him that? I think that's entirely appropriate. That's the stream of grace that begins to say to God, I want to go in the direction you're leading. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to follow in the way you're going. So a stream of grace. Secondly, invite God into your life. Maybe you never have invited him into your life. Well, you need to do that. You need to make a commitment that you want to be his follower. You want to say to God, I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to be your person. You can count on me. That's inviting God into your life. Along with that, you might need to say to God, and yes, I know you've been talking to me about this behavior or this attitude, and I know it needs to change, and so starting right now, today, I'm putting that away. I'm not going to do that. See, we call that renouncing known sin. If you know you're doing something you shouldn't, then just stop. That's one way you invite God in. You say to God, I'm just not going to do that. And I'm not going to depend upon my power to do it. I'm going to depend upon your grace. But I want you to know we're fixing this today. And I'm committed to doing that because I want to do what you say. Related to that is that we intentionally say to God, I'm going to do your will. Uh, That's a big thing for some people. Are you willing to intentionally say to God, I'm going to do your will? For example, can you say to God, I'm going to follow the Ten Commandments? Well, I mean, that's entry level kind of stuff, isn't it? It says, honor your father and your mother. Are you doing that? Well, that's doing God's will. 
You've heard from God. You know clearly he wants you to do that, so you do it. How about the Sermon on the Mount? If you want to go a little deeper, look at Matthew chapter 5 through 7. A lot of things there that God will say you need to do this and this and this. It's good instruction. Or the Great Commandment, where God says, Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a good place to start. You could ask the Holy Spirit to give you guidance on what's true about sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's one of the reasons the Holy Spirit was sent. So talk to God about that. Intentionally invite God into your life. So stream of grace, invite God into your life. And three, how do we know if what we hear is actually a word from God? Well, I think we need to test what we hear. Evaluate it. Does the Bible agree? In 1 John chapter 4, there's this idea of test the spirits. And, and it's not specifically spirits. It's the idea that we test to know what's right and true. And so it's the principle of does the Bible agree? Is it the right thing? So we evaluate that. And we can do that evaluation by checking circumstances. Do circumstances line up? I did something that I knew God wanted me to do earlier this week, and circumstances were easy. I just needed to do it. So I did it. Sometimes circumstances will guide us in the right way to go, and we need to just do it. Now, the next couple of ideas about evaluating this or testing what we hear so that we can trust what we hear is what's so are, are a little bit more challenging, and people sometimes are a little bit more reluctant to do this. You might not be, but some people are. You can go to, to people who have discernment and wisdom, people that you know are mature followers of Jesus, and you can tell them, and you can ask them, does it seem to them that this is right? Maybe you want to seek someone out who is gifted at interpreting the Bible. And so they will understand. Maybe you, maybe you have a Bible verse that, that has been meaningful to you in a certain way. And maybe you want to ask them, did I get this right? Could this be God speaking to them? So you want to find these gifted people that can, can help you. Because they are, for whatever reason, God has given them this special ability to sort through things and to give wise counsel. And as you look for those kind of people, look for the kind of people that care more about you and your well-being than about you getting your own way. Now, that's, that's very different. Getting your way isn't about your well-being, okay? Getting your way is very different sometimes than your well-being. We all think that if we get what we want, we'll be fine. Not so fast. So make sure you find people who are going to be honest with you and who will help you sort it all out and who will tell you the truth about these things. That's very important. And I also want to give a word of encouragement and caution as it relates to pastors. You might hear from God and, and um, you might go all excited in and say something to your pastor and expect your pastor to be just as excited as you are. Don't be surprised if your pastor is hesitant at some point related to that doesn't mean that God hasn't spoken to you about what you need to do, but you just need to realize that, well, pastors have been put in a lot of interesting positions over time, and it doesn't discredit your pastor that he's reluctant when you go talk to him. You see, pastors just get bombarded by people, and they get manipulated sometimes, and they're wary of that manipulation. So just understand that. And, and give them a little grace on that to come around to that. One final thought as we wrap this up, thinking about how we go into the future and trusting God and what we hear from God. 
in Hebrew thought, there's a way of thinking about the future and the past that's very different from the way we think about things. To us, the future is before us and the past is behind us. In Hebrew thought, take that back into the Old Testament, they thought of the past as being in front of them and the future being behind them because they could see the past, so it was in front of them. The future they couldn't see, so it was behind them. They didn't know the future. And so in a very real sense, they had to learn to walk backward into the future. You know, that's what we can do when we hear God and when we trust Him. We can walk backward into the future. You can see the past and you can learn from it, and you should see and learn from it. But we can know with confidence that God will lead us as we back into the future, even though we can't see it. So stretch in God's direction, trust Him, and join us again next week. I'm Pastor Rick.